Welcome to Coastline Church, seeking renewed faith in Humboldt County by being settled and secure in God's love. To learn more, visit coastlinefoursquare.com. This morning, I was uh, listening to a scripture that was in the Old Testament, and it was saying, uh, we speak grace, grace to the mountain of human difficulties, and that's along that same uh, same wave, no pun intended, uh, there. Today, uh, we're in Acts 25, we're almost done with the book of Acts, and I just wanted to remind us that um, as... Uh, Pastor Linda has encouraged us that we're looking at the book of Acts not just for information, but we're looking at the book of Acts to see what is the Holy Spirit doing. And um, at first in these couple chapters here, I was thinking, oh, I don't see, I don't see. But as I kept looking and kept just kind of meditating on the Lord and, and such, it seemed like that he whispered a lot of things to me, some of what I will share with you today. So we're in Acts 25. If you have your own Bibles, that's great. If not, we've got uh, it in the New American Standard uh, on PowerPoint. So let's start. Festus then, after arriving in the province, went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea three days later. And the chief priests and the leading men of the Jews brought charges against Paul, and they were pleading with Festus. Now, you do find that's interesting, right? That who's coming against Paul? The religious people. Keep that in your, in your mind. Verse 3, requesting a concession against Paul that he might have him brought to Jerusalem, at the same time setting an ambush to kill him on the way. In the King James, it says that they desired favor against him. That's Paul. So it was favor in the opposite regard, and then they were going to assassinate him. You know, that was the plan. Of course, the plan was foiled because the rolling power of the Holy Spirit, right? Pastor Linda took over. Verse 4, Festus then answered that Paul was kept in custody in Caesarea and that he himself was about to leave shortly. Therefore, he said, have the influential men among you go there with me. And if there is anything wrong about that man, have them bring charges against him. I love how these, these uh, emperors talk. <laughs> Verse 6, after Festus had spent no more than eight or ten days among them, he went down to Caesarea. And on the next day, he took a seat on the tribunal and ordered that Paul be brought. Now, where it says he took his seat, if you look that in the Strong's Concordance, which any of you can do, either by online or with your book, this was the Bema seat of judgment. It was the place where judgments were handed down, and it was always, in, of course, in an elevated position. Could look like a throne. If not, it was just at least an ornate chair. But he took his seat on the tribunal, that means three, in order that Paul would be brought. Now on to verse 9. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, because of course he was into politics, replied to Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me on these charges? And then the, the conversation goes on and on. 
And I wanted to just insert here before I say what he actually said at the end of verse 11, is that remember, Paul wasn't afraid to die. So it was not an issue of being afraid to die, even if he knew, if he happened to have known about the assassination plan or anything like that. Paul was not afraid at all. Maybe I might be shaking in my boots a little bit, but Paul was not afraid. So I absolutely believe that the Holy Spirit placed within his heart, this is now when you're going to say something about your citizenship. So then at the end of verse 11, he says, I appeal to Caesar, which that was a real big deal. It was, it's the most famous line in Acts 27, verse 12. Then when Festus has conferred with his council, he, has, he answered, you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. Have you seen that like on movies and stuff? I have. So you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. Verse 13. Now when several days had passed, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived in Caesarea, paying their respects to Festus. And while they were spending many days there, Festus presented Paul's case to the king. Uh, I wanted just to point out that even though I, we don't know for positive, at least I didn't in my studies, know what was the end result of King Agrippa. And Bernice was, <laughs> she was really, had some troublesome past there. Um, and was in the future was troublesome as well. We don't know what their end was, but Bernice's name means bring victory and King uh, and Agrippa means hero-like or a horse tamer. So I believe since the Jewish people never named their children anything but what they felt like was the characteristic that was going to be um, raised up within them, I think the Lord had higher aspirations for them I don't know if they ever walked into that or not, which is kind of a sober thing for us to think about. That what has he called us and, and uh, what are we doing in that place to bring that victory, to bring that overcoming place? So then there is a recounting in the, in the uh, next verses of previous chapters that we've already went through, but now he's with a new audience and Festus is speaking and Festus it seems like he likes to hear his own voice because he just goes into great detail and he acts like he's so you know under the authority of the big dude but I think he just wants to hear himself talk so in verse 21 he goes on to say uh, it goes on to say but when Paul appealed to be held in custody for the emperor's decision I ordered that he be kept in custody until I sent him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. So on the next day when Agrippa and Bernice came amid great pomp and entered the auditorium, accompanied by the commanders and the prominent men of the city, can you just see how it was? It was, oh wow, pomp and circumstance. Again, so then there's a lot of repetition. They're repeating a lot of what's going on. And then, excuse me, in Acts 26, we read, starting with verse 1. Now Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. Then Paul extended his hand and proceeded to make his defense. 
So when it says that Paul extended his hand, it would be like uh, this was a, a place of dignity and honor and showing great dignity, honor, and respect. It would be kind of like, I'm assuming that it's still this way, I know my parents were in the military, but it'd be like if somebody was giving a salute. It was a, it was a place of great dignity, honor, and respect. And so Paul did express honor to the authorities, even if he was not going to be uh, uh, totally 100% agreeing with everything that they did. Verse 2, regarding all the things of which I'm accused, King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate that I am about to make my defense before you today, especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions among the Jews. This just makes me laugh. <laughs> Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. So he begins his testimony, and uh, we've heard it in, in previous chapters, so we'll carry it out to verse 9 here. So I thought to myself that I had to act in strong opposition to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And when I was, I was thinking about that when he said that, there's a proverb that says that agree with your adversary while you're on the way so that when you, know, like when you get to the place you're going, that he won't take you to court. So I think that this was wisdom here that he came into agreement with probably what was the standard line. And I think this is good practice and communication all the way. So I, I really uh, was blessed by seeing this as I was reading it. So, um, so once again, so I thought to myself that I had to act in strong opposition to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, after receiving authority from the chief priests, but I also cast my vote against them when they were being put to death. Verse 11, and as I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. And since I was extremely enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. Now in this verse, we're, we're going to, in the uh, very near future here, um, Paul being accused of being mad, but this extremely enraged, it was, this was actually to rave on or to be mad again. So he, he wasn't just mad, he just wasn't angry, but he was almost not seeing straight. He was so mad and he was so angry. And, and he's uh, stating this uh, in testimony form to the officials. Verse 12, while so engaged, as I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who were journeying with me. And when we had fallen, we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And um, I'm not really sure why that, real, that uh, last sentence really got to me until I went and I looked at the words exactly. And so he, it, was, it was as if the Lord was saying, Saul, it's pretty hard for you because you see that there's a point. You see 
you see, uh, you see the sting or the poison. You see they're, they are not being moved. They are not blaspheming. You are, they are devoted. They are willing to die for your, their beliefs. And it also can mean, uh, the goats part can also mean a divine impulse. So, so it's telling me that he actually had some knowing within his heart that he was going against God. And so it's just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And and Lord, let us not go against the goads. Let us not let us not go against your divine impulses. Let us not just sit and look pretty because it's the thing to do, Lord, but let us be led by your divine impulses, by your divine leadings, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe that was just for me, but Hallelujah. Verse 19. For that reason, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision. For these reasons, uh, <clears throat> sorry, verse 21. For these reasons, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to murder me. So, having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place. As to whether the Christ was to suffer, and whether as first from the resurrection of the dead, he would proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. While Paul was stating these things in his defense, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you insane. I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, I'll, I'll say what he's, uh, his response in just a second. But my... Uh, mother-in-law and the certain uh, persuasion that she was raised in her uh, in her uh, faith journey she was told so she told me so I'm just relaying what she said was that that uh, her priest told her that they were not supposed to read the Bible because they would go mad so I don't know if this started way back then or not but I thought I have never heard of anything so strange except for right here <laughs> Um, your great learning is driving you insane. But Paul said, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. On the contrary, I am speaking out with truthful and rational words. Picking up in verse 31, he says, This man is not doing anything deserving death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. And again, I believe it was the Holy Spirit that was leading Paul to do this because he had a work for him to do in another area. His work was not done yet. Acts 27, verse 1. Now when it was decided that we would sail for Italy, they proceeded to turn Paul and some other prisoners over to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. So the cohort is just another name for centurion. That's what it is in the King James too. I don't know why they just didn't call it centurion. And as you know, a centurion was a Roman officer. So they entered the ship. They touched uh, on land in Sidon. Paul had liberty to be with his friends and to refresh himself. And when I looked up that word, refresh himself, because I was thinking, 
I don't know why, but I was just thinking that, you know, he could get cleaned up or take a bath or whatever once he got there. But actually, it wasn't that. It was more of um, he had liberty to be with his friends and that even in that in that place of being with his friends that he would able to have refreshment himself and how is how is it so sweet for us when we have fellowship with the lord and we have fellowship with one another that there's such a sweetness there's such a refreshment that even taking a nice hot shower isn't going to necessarily fill and so that was a, a real a hidden blessing there in acts 27. Um, Verse 5, when we had sailed through the sea along the coast of Kilika and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lucia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy, and he put us aboard it. When we had sailed slowly for a good many days and with difficulty had arrived, arrived <clears throat> off Nidos, since the wind did not permit us to go farther, we sailed into the shelter of Crete off Salome, Salomone, I'm sorry. So then he, they pass on to Fairhaven, the sea becomes very dangerous, um, they're now fasting because fasting started at the 10th day, 7th month. Paul's admonishing them, and then in verse 10, he continues saying, Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion was persuaded more by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. When a moderate south wind came up, thinking they had attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete, closer to the shore. But before very long, a violent wind called Eurekio rushed down from the land. And this, uh, this violent wind in uh, King James, it says tempestuous. It was, like a it was like a whirlwind, but it also carries with the idea that it was stormy, if not kind of smoky. Have any of you been like out in the deep sea where it gets really rough? Raise your hand. No? Okay. I, I used to know people uh, very well that were uh, fishermen and out on the sea, and it can get really bad rough. Um, but this one carried an idea that it was like smoky. So in my mind, if something's like smoky, your visibility, you don't have much visibility any either. It's like dark, black, blackish gray, smoky, you know, kind of thing. <clears throat> So uh, the, before long, the violent wind called Eurekio, as I said, rushed down from the land. And when the ship was caught in it and could not head up into the wind, we gave up and we let ourselves be driven by the wind. Say long. <laughs> Running under the shelter of a small island called Clauda, or Claude, I should say, we were able to get the ship's boat under control only with difficulty. So then there is further attempts to secure the ship in all sorts of manners. And um, they started getting scared. And a reverential awe came upon the people, uh, a reverential awe for the Lord. But they still were very concerned 
about the quicksands, and that was like shallows and sandy banks, uh, because that could be very detrimental not only to the ship, but to them. I mean, has anybody been in quicksand before? Have you? Was it scary? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they were scary, scared about the quicksands and the sandy banks, so the, their own selves and, the, and their ship. The next day, as we were being violently tossed by the storm, they began to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. So see, you first the cargo goes, then on the third day, the ship's tackle is being thrown over with their own hands. Does anybody know what ship's tackle is actually? Does anybody know that? Most likely be the blocks, the running gear, or the sails. Okay, so like blocks, running gear, sails, all right. Um, that was the one thing I wasn't able to look up there, so thank you, um, Randall. So, and again, the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. <clears throat> Verse 20, since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small storm was assailing us, from then all, all hope of our being saved was slowly abandoned. So you see again, they're playing on that smoky idea. Now they're saying they're not seeing any sun, they're not seeing any stars for many days, and they were being assailed this, or assaulted this whole entire time. But like the song that we were singing, uh, we are out of the darkness, and into his glorious light or into his glory that lots of times I think we are in places where we feel like that all hope of being saved or, or being caught up out of the situation or even going through this situation is being abandoned and that we're in great distress but that the Lord uh, is wanting to say to us as we continue on. So they had been uh, fasting, and now in verse 21, now many had lost their appetites. So I always wonder, did they like have to go heave-ho or whatever, you know, over the side? But um, Paul then stood then among them and said, Men, you should have followed my advice and not set sail from Crete, and thereby spared yourselves this damage and loss. Verse 22. And yet now I urge you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, an angel of the Lord, to whom I belong, whom I also serve, came to me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has graciously granted you all those who are sailing with you. So here the Holy Spirit <clears throat> through the angels addressing discouragement. He's saying, keep up your courage, Paul. Don't fall into discouragement. Keep up your courage. And um, I, I have a plan. You're in it. So verse 25, therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe that God, I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on a certain island. But when the 14th night came, and as we were being driven about in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors began to suspect that they were approaching some land. 
and they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms and a little farther on they took another sounding and found it to be 15 fathoms and the soundings at that time the way they measured is they used a line and a plummet and I'm guessing a plummet is more like a weighted uh, item and they would put it down in there so the first time it was at 20 fathoms then it was down to 15 so unfortunately they were going with their logic verse 29 fearing that we might run aground somewhere on the rocks they cast four anchors from the stern and prayed for daybreak but as the sailors were trying to escape from the ship and had let down the ship's boat into the sea on the pretense that they were going to lay out anchors from the bow Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers unless these men remain on the ship you yourselves cannot be saved then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it fall away once again we see in my mind that the awe the awe the reverential awe of God is on these people why else would they cut the ropes of the ship's boat they would just say like you're crazy you know I'm I'm not going to do that but they cut the ropes so in my mind that reverential all is an operation here continuing on until the day was about to dawn Paul kept encouraging them all to take some food saying today is the 14th day that you have been constantly watching and going without eating having taken in nothing therefore I encourage you to take some food for this is for your survival for not a hair from the head of any of you will perish I looked up the number uh, 14 in um, he in the Hebrew uh, Bible dictionary and 14 is the number of salvation so I thought that was really cool that it was the 14th day that it was happening see for us as West as being in the United States and all we take more value over words but in that culture there was more of a value and actually a supreme value of numbers and we'll be coming into that in a little while I'm going to give you a little pop quiz and see if you can figure out what the number is um, but uh, 14 was the number of salvation so that was really uh, special in my heart having said this he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all and he broke it and began to eat all of them were encouraged and they they themselves also took food verse 37 we were 276 people on the ship in all when they had eaten enough they began lightening the ship by throwing the wheat out into the sea um, a lot a lot of people just like gloss over words and gloss over sentences and they don't see the significance of even numbers and stuff but in in my mind the Lord has a purpose even in the numbers and there was 276 people on the ship so pop quiz if you were picking a number that was supposed to rep represent evil personified what number would you choose six, six, six. what six, six, six. exactly that's what I would choose too well um, according to this uh, man named Arthur Edel and he got his stuff from Jerry Lucas and Washburn in a book called Theomatics. Um, apparently, there's so many examples of 276 in the scripture 
that focus on Satan, his devices, his demons, fallen man, sin and flesh, the law, the way out from uh, the bondage of Satan, sin and the law. And so they're even like put in groups, there's so much. And he said this, <clears throat> in other words, it was only by the word of the Lord and the eventual obedience to that word via his messengers, you know, Angel and Paul, that everyone was saved. The clear message of this story is that God's elect are sent back into the world, into the ship of greed and selfishness during the days of God's judgment in order that all mankind shall be saved. God's desire is that all men shall be brought to repentance, that none shall be lost. Just as the great fishes of Peter were all preserved from the deep, so here all the mixed company of the world's people, the Egyptians, the Romans, the Jews, the prisoners, the merchantmen, all were saved. But in the process, they had to jettison everything of value in human terms. Nothing could be saved other than their lives. And uh, although I myself do not think it's a strong argument, just for, for your information so that you know, there's some people who believe that everyone, by the time they die, they will be saved. And that this, this one scripture here, just using those numbers, because they realize the power and the meaning of numbers to the Hebrew people, they think that this is part of their argument. I don't, I don't share that view, but just so that you know and won't be caught off guard. Verse 39, now when day came, they could not recognize the lamb, but they did not notice, but they did notice a bay with a beach, and they resolved to run the ship onto it if they could. But they struck a reef where two seas met and ran the ship aground, and the prow stuck firmly and remained immovable while the stern started to break up due to the force of the waves. When Linda was uh, sharing what she was seeing, that picture she was seeing, when she was saying it to me the first time, she said it was like rolling like waves. And, and I thought, oh, that's pretty cool, cool to be thinking of the waves of the Holy Spirit while, while they're in waves of their own choosing, of their own disobedience. Um, verse 42, the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners so that none of them would swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to bring Paul safely through, kept them from accomplishing their intention and commanded that those who could swim were to jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest were to follow, some on planks and others on various things from the ship. And so it happened that they were all brought safely to land. Wow. Wasn't that a wild ride? I, I was telling Linda, I, I, I knew I, I just knew that I couldn't do it because it would, it would take too much time. But like my favorite chapter is the next chapter when they, when they get onto the island. But the Holy Spirit has something for us here. He has uh, a desire for us to not lean on to our own understanding. He has a desire that we will be led by the divine impulses of God and that we will speak boldly and confidently when asked about our, uh, our relationship with the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I'm just so excited to have actually got through these three chapters with seven minutes to spare. So not that we have to be on time, but is there anything else that just like stirred you guys or, or any other thought that you have we, we have some time. I'm sure there's no game that you're going to be missing or anything. Um, anybody? No? 
keynote plan. I, I, I have a, a lot to say and I won't do it at this point, but um, several months ago, I uh, was listening to a pastor on TV and he was in one of his uh, messages about he was so excited about telling people, you know what, if you would write, if you, if you enjoy writing or if you would write the word as you're reading it, if you enjoy doing that, I can promise you that word that you write will become, it will never leave you. It will go in so much that you will be shocked when you're done. Well, I love to write. I, I, I do. I, I'm not brain-wise, but I love handwriting and, and writing things. And several months ago, before I even knew we were into Acts here, um, I found on different um, messages that I hear, I would hear on radio or something, but man, everybody's talking about Acts. I'm going to write the book of Acts. And so I told my husband that, and he said, do you know how many chapters are in that book? And I said, well, I have a special Bible that I have had and go by. I know that there's a lot of translations that are probably a lot more, but I have learned, you cannot imagine, but I have learned through writing this chapter, and I just finished um, a week ago, and that was pretty close to how you're, where you're at, uh, Sharon. But when I was a, a child or a teenager, when I started going to church, um, Foursquare, and Young, I my parents were wonderful people, but they didn't go to church or really, um, they weren't bad, they were just good people. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget a comment that my mom made out of the blue, because she saw that I went to church a lot and I liked it and I was really enjoying it. She made a comment about Paul, and she said, I, I don't understand, I don't understand. That was a most horrible man ever. And she called him a murderer and all this kind of stuff. Well, she never read the Bible, but she heard about him and who he was and everything. And I thought, that's so strange. I don't understand that, you know? So I didn't really dive into it or anything. Since I have read Acts, I, you know, ask my husband, I have, so many times gotten up as I'm writing and go in and find him somewhere and I had to share something and I would just cry. I would just cry. And I said, I can't believe him. What a man he was. I mean, I got goosebumps right now. So writing this chapter of Acts has done so much for me. It really has. And it, the pastor that said, if you, if you can, you can write down the word. Do it because you'll never forget it. So I'm right in time with you at the end, and I've just been smiling as you're um, sharing certain things. And I, I remember what it meant to me as I'm sitting at my desk at home writing. So it's fun to share that. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. That is so beyond awesome. Yeah. So beyond awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I treasure that. Yeah. Linda? On that same point. That I wanted to memorize more scripture. 
And so what? I, so I went online, right, as how to memorize scripture. And that was one of the things that they said was write it out six times, six times a scripture, and you will never forget it. And it's that seeing, reading, digesting it, chewing on it, getting your hand motion in there, and it becomes like memory to um, to your soul. It's pretty exciting, huh? Absolutely. Yeah, you learn so much more Absolutely. by really, really repetition. It's like that muscle memory idea. That's right. From either like an athlete or say like a musician. Because yeah. I used to always think like, oh, like what's the point? I'd be so drugged to be practicing every day, you know. And then I, I uh, was talking to a musician and, and they were saying, it's not about that. It's about the ability to be able to not even have to think because of the muscle memory. And the same thing with the athlete. When they're in their course or in their, in their race, they have to be able to not think about what all they've been trained for and trained in and trained with, they have to just be able to go. And so that's, that's a very important thing, yes. Thanks so much. Anyone else? I just wanted to say, since uh, she doesn't want prayer like publicly or anything, if you could keep Nicole in your prayers, um, she's going to be leaving the continent and has to suffer and be in a, another country that we talked about today. And um, just that she would have traveling mercies, that she would be safe, and that she uh, would shine, that her, her testimony of Jesus that's within her that shines so brightly would just continue to shine brightly. And that any difficulties or any things she needs to navigate, that she will hear the Lord. She will hear by the Holy Spirit yes. which way to go or not go, what to proceed in, what not to, what what things to engage in, what things not. Choose your, your rules of engagement. And um, Steve and Carla, they're with family. They're away. And we still have some people that are isolating that, um, that are there. So just... If, you keep those in your daily prayers. I'm, I'm trusting God that everything will work out perfectly. And so let's close. Father God, I again thank you, as I just did a few minutes ago, for your precious word, that your word is alive, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, that it divides a center between soul and spirit, joint in marrow, in the thoughts, and in the intents of our hearts, Lord. So, Lord, weigh us. Help us to discern between the thoughts and the intents of our heart. And, Lord, let us be open. Let us have ears to hear and eyes to see what you're saying, Lord. And let us walk in it. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray these things. And everybody that agrees with that, say amen. 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 Thank you for joining us today at Coastline Church. To find out more information, please visit coastlinefoursquare.com.